I think global capitalism has has scored its final victory. Basically, Starbucks owns us, Facebook owns us, Google owns us, and we've just made that deal at this point, and it's sort of inescapable. Cruise lines in general, cruise ships are just con- like the plague in cities. I think over tourism. And the problems of cruise ships coming in, dumping off thousands of people who just kind of glom on to the big tourist destination, then leave. Hey guys, we got an ad here. Advertisement. Behind the Idea is brought to you by Seeking Alpha Essential. Heads up, we got inside info here. Seeking Alpha Essential used to be Seeking Alpha Pro, but now it's changing names to Seeking Alpha Essential. So it's the same great service, but a new name. Seeking Alpha Essential offers a research library covering more than 10,000 stocks and funds. For something like Royal Caribbean, which is the stock we're talking about today, we can easily get a quick orientation on the main beats of an investment story. Essential makes that easy. You can find comparable companies right on the quote page and easily dig into the long and short cases. And we can go back in time to see how investors have changed their views. If you're looking to get deeper research and sift through the essential information on any stock you follow, consider signing up for a two-week trial of Essential at SeekingAlpha.com slash pro. It's still in the middle of changing the URL. So again, this is really inside info for our listeners. So SeekingAlpha.com slash pro to sign up to Seeking Alpha Essential. Seeking Alpha Essential. It's where Behind the Idea goes for research. All right. And now welcome to Behind the Idea, where we break down investment ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem to find out what makes successful analysis work. I'm Mike Taylor. And I'm Daniel Schwartzman. Today, we're talking about cruise ships, luxury, sunscreen, all aboard. Make sure you get back on the boat before it leaves again. You've got to make curfew. Daniel, do not stay in the port town past midnight. The boat's leaving. Don't stay in the club with the techno music playing. I know you love that music. And they do like they remix some Velvet Underground. It's the Grey Album. Daniel loves the Grey Album. Danger Doom, Danger Mouse. Yeah, you got to get back on the cruise ship. Today we're talking about cruise ships and we're going to get on. We got our life preservers under the bed or in the closet. We're ready. We got the portholes open. We're talking cruise ships today. Specifically, we're talking about Royal Caribbean, ticker symbol RCL. The company recently took a majority stake in Silver Sea Cruises, which is a really upscale cruise line business. Seeking Alpha author Spring Mill Research is bearish on this deal. The theme of today's episode is what do you do when a company you thought was on the right track makes a dumb deal? Before we dig in, quick disclosure. Seeking Alpha is a website where investors from around the world share their ideas and analysis. Neither Daniel nor I have any positions in any companies discussed. Okay, Daniel, what's the deal here with Royal Caribbean, Spring Mill Research, Silver Sea Cruises? What's the setup? So Spring Mill Research covered Royal Caribbean a few weeks ago and said, look, it's a fine company. They seem to have learned their lesson from the crisis. They're not too levered. They've kind of grown. Not a great buy, but decent company. They then announced that they were buying a two-thirds stake in luxury cruise operator Silver Sea Cruises. 
They bought it, as he quotes, for 14 times EBITDA. They had to raise debt to do so. And so basically, his argument, he's a shareholder of Carnival Cruise Lines, which is the, I believe, the biggest name in the industry. He says, basically, they haven't learned their lesson. This is dilutive to cash flows. This is expensive. It's levering up. We're now over three times net debt to EBITDA ratio. So all this discipline that the company seemed to be expressing going into this stage, they're not. We're at the end of the cycle anyhow. And so now this is just sort of a classic top of cycle, last ditch effort buying here. And so that's essentially the argument. It's not a super long argument. He doesn't express a ton of downside. He says, you know, 10% below where it has been recently, the stock did sell off some in light of this deal, I believe. And so, or it's kind of gone up and down. But yeah, so that's that's essentially what he's getting at. Is that It's almost a, a note of disappointment. I just said that this company had turned the corner and now all of a sudden it does not look like they've turned the corner in terms of their discipline. So let's zoom out for a second because I think M&A is something that you know, you and I have a few opinions on, you know, with a roll-up story or with an acquisition story, sometimes companies can make deals that are accretive to earnings by buying a company for cheaper than their own multiple is, right? Then that boosts EPS and potentially makes the company look from an accounting perspective more attractive. And then the thinking is that shareholders We'll see that and we'll bid the share price up to the benefit of all. Whether that happens in real life or not is another story. But one thing I noticed about this deal, I think I have this right, that the deal is actually expensive and they bought or they bought the stake in Silver Sea Cruises for a multiple that's higher than Royal Caribbean's multiple. Is that right? Yeah, I believe that's correct. I haven't double checked, but I believe that's that is correct. So. What do you make of that? What do we make of a? Uh, either way, this wasn't a cheap deal. I think Spring Mill makes it pretty clear that this was an expensive deal. What do we think about when a company in the cruise line business or a similar type of business makes an expensive deal, buys a stake in another company at what seems like an expensive valuation relative to the company itself? Yeah, it's a good question because I think the fact that you place within the context of cruise lines is important. You can make an expensive deal that does something that you weren't capable of before or that opens up a new market to you or that does create some fundamental new value that will ultimately you can build on, whether it's Microsoft buying LinkedIn, which I don't know how that's paid off for Microsoft yet, for, for example, but that's... They bought a network, they bought a clear, it was something that Microsoft didn't do. Whether it fits in or not, there you could see, you could see how it would be harder to back directly into the math. Facebook with Instagram, as another tech industry example, might have actually been easier to understand because it's ultimately about building out ads, but it was a similar sort of, it was something that Facebook wasn't doing yet. There they kind of cut off a competitor, that sort of thing. Uh, in an industry like this, I don't know how much, if you're 
spending a lot of money. So it's not like you're achieving that sort of corporate arbitrage that you suggested where you buy it for a lower multiple and then its earnings are accretive to what you're doing. I don't assume that they got the ships themselves for cheap. You know, they don't have full control and I didn't read the full details as far as how much assets are involved in this deal, but it's not like they're buying underpriced assets. And so I guess you you get some revenue, obviously, and you get some EBITDA. And so in theory, you could argue, well, all EBITDA is positive, right? All, as long as it's, or EBITDA, that's actually not the right. Once you get to interest and tax, then you can argue that this is positive. If, if this is bigger than the interest we're paying on the debt we have to take on to make this deal, then who cares? Like, we're just getting into this abstract multiple game. But yeah, I don't think it's obvious that they would, like that RCL has some greater capacity to resell these cruises through their network. or Like, it's not obvious what the synergies are. They're talking about $50 million in synergies, but I'm not really sure. It, it seems like a... The synergies thing was weird to me because this is a company that did 1.62 billion in net income in 2017. So 50 million in synergies is like a matter of faith, right? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, can you really? I guess you can use the same sales team to sell the cruise tickets or whatever. But you know, in terms of operating the business, you still have the boats. And you need to staff the boats and all that stuff. It just seems really thin on almost every level. But there is one thing I wanted to bring up. I talked with our emailed uh, our buddy Paul Brady at Condé Nast Traveler, who covers cruise ships pretty in detail. And one thing that he mentioned that we'll talk to him more about later is that there's limited capacity for berths in the cruise ship business. So pulling into port and pulling out of port is limited. And it's, so there may be something defensible about this deal if you take a really long-term perspective and there's some scarcity of this asset, the ability to move in and out of ports and to have relationships with different ports, however that works, and to have the ships ready to meet demand. If you're bullish overall on demand, then those capacity constraints in terms of coming in and out of ports might make this deal make some more strategic sense. So we'll get him on later, hopefully, to talk more about that. But overall, I kind of agree with a big assessment, like how different can one cruise ship be from another? How strategic can it be to just add assets in the same line of business these companies seem like uh, they may be better off disentangled than intertangled, especially given that Silver Sea is more upscale of a brand than RCL is. So how are they going to navigate that brand identity problem? Right. And something just on the berths and sort of the supply-demand factors here, which is probably the other that's ultimately where I think you have to make your decision about the cruise industry generally is it is cyclical presumably. And we, we know from Paul that travel seems to be going up and up and up 
and there's no clear reason that that's going to change. But at least on the, I didn't think about it so much on the births, but on the meaning on on the port, the ports, the ports are you're sort of stuck with whatever local infrastructure is doing. But in terms of the actual ships themselves, that seems like something you can overbuild really easily. And that's where, if that's the case, do you want to get aggressive, add leverage, and spend a lot of money on relatively niche part of the market as compared to saving your chips for when you really need to push them in? I don't know. That that I guess that's the... That's where your underlying thesis is important. Your underlying view of this industry and its economics will affect how you view this deal and whether it's a smart one for RCL to have made. But I think that's where Spring Mill Research, pulling up their earlier article, kudos to Royal Caribbean, it's all grown up now, was the lead summary bullet. And so it's all about how they seem to have got the message about this sort of thing. And then... I mean, what can we know as outside investors? But they 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 don't view it the same way that the management team. Yeah, I, that's really where the article comes down, and I think the case is just fairly clear. One interesting thing is that he projects a fairly modest amount of downside, and he is a bull on the sector, presumably, since he is long another company, Carnival. I think. Right. So. Yeah, but it is kind of like, what are you guys, you slim down, you finally got your debt under control, and the rating agencies are off your backs, you're not getting calls from Moody's or S&P saying that the, your credit is risky, finally you're just in a position to operate. You had a good run for the past five years, net income has been growing substantially, why are you going to mess around right now when the cycle could turn against you at any time? And we know in 2008 that the stock went down like 80% or something. These things can really turn on you. Mm-hmm. Why are you Why are you raising that risk by growing your balance sheet right now? I think that's the main thing here. And I guess we go back to the flip side. It's just whether there's some kind of strategic rationale for the deal. And maybe if you're just really long-term bullish on the cruise industry overall, then expanding the business and levering up is a defensible move. Yeah. What do you think about the the cruise line business? What do you, what is your, if that's, if that's sort of where this deal might break for good or ill, how do you, what do you think about it? I think it's fun and fun. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> the first thing that came to mind for me was that David Foster Wallace essay from like the mid nineties in Harper's about his experience on a cruise ship. That's a very nineties piece in a way, because it calls out sort of all the absurdities of a pampered lifestyle and being in close quarters with a bunch of other people eating sort of all this rich food and basically indulging sort of, every sensory experience possible, but sort of cramping yourself into such an experience. You know, you're in a fairly small room, you're packed in with a bunch of other people, you're having the same experience as other people. He talks about zinc oxide, how he needs his zinc oxide on his nose, and just generally is kind of 
disgusted by the whole experience of being so waited on and so called to basically be treated like a little baby. I bring that up because I think that young people or people who are of the late great Dave Wallace's vintage today, I think there's a lot less self-consciousness about just a flagrant embrace of consumerism. And I don't know that this essay would have even worked in 2018 or had been resonant with people because I think this is just my general view. Like people are like, want to go on a cruise and people are like, yeah, oh yeah, let's like get pampered. There's no authenticity issue in our culture anymore, uh, especially among young adults of sort of our age. That's how I'm winding this back to the investment story. So it's a really funny piece. Check it out. Harper's.org, the archive. David Foster Wallace, one of the great writers of his generation. Bringing it back to the investment story and my view of the industry overall, there are some drivers of a really strong trend. We had, Paul, just basically the rise of a middle class in the emerging markets that can now purchase experiences is bullish for the the cruise line industry overall, the aging baby boomers where I think we're still fairly well into the first innings of that retirement group, finally quitting work and going to start indulging their hedonic urges. And then this cultural thing that I just mentioned, which is I think people don't care at least in the United States in the way they used to about cruise ships being dorky and stupid and bad. I think that is all the easy jokes about cruise ships and cruise line comedians and cruise line bands and all that. I think that that's people don't care anymore. They're just like, give me the buffets and the sun and the, the experiences. That's my final point. I think that we're in an environment where we have so much in the developed world, so much mediated experience with iPads and iPhones and video games and all that stuff that I would be long-term bullish on the trend of, seeking out real world experiences and seeking out increasingly scarce naturalistic experiences, even if they're in this context of a cheesy cruise line, like going to Antarctica is going to be an increasingly valuable and competitive thing for consumers to do. So I like the cruise line industry story overall. I'm concerned about secular issues where we are in the economic cycle, but if you're a really long-term shareholder with a really long-term view, I think it's defensible to own some of these companies just because they have access to this seemingly very rich set of experiences to offer people. So, well, what I think maybe you're less bullish than I am on the overall industry, but what do you think? What do you, what do you think about why... What has changed between David Foster Wallace and this climate now? I'm just curious. I think global capitalism has has scored its final victory, basically. Like if remember in the nineties, like people were resistant to the concept of cell phones. There was like a sort of cachet to being like I did this in college, for example. I'd be like, I don't have a cell phone yet because I, I wanna I don't want to be reachable, you know, that attitude or 
like globalization overall, they're used to, right? Like the movie Fight Club, where like the intro, Ed Norton's going like the Starbucks galaxy or like that, the idea that brands are encroaching in on our life and that corporate experiences are encroaching in on our lives. I think since the late nineties, we basically have abandoned any pretension to caring about that. Starbucks owns us. Facebook owns us. Google owns us. And we've just made that deal at this point. And it's sort of inescapable. So the cultural value of being independent from the corporate infrastructure that surrounds us and being independent from the global commercial system has evaporated. A band like Nirvana wouldn't make sense to people anymore. They'd be like, why are you not on Spotify? Like, why are you trying to like toil away and like pick and choose how you distribute your art? And I think that that self-consciousness about how we consume culture just is not a conversation that people really are interested in having anymore. That's my, that's my thing. I think increasingly cruises are not, it doesn't matter if something's dorky or corporate or not. So that's my, I think I love this essay and I'm nostalgic for that era. We had that self-consciousness about consumption, but, and maybe this, but do you think millennials or young people now, they like, they just soak it all in. It's an embrace, a full embrace, I think. I would argue that social media plays a huge difference in that, a huge driver of that, I think. Just you, like a cruise ship is less dweeby if you're taking pictures on it and you're showing your bling, I think. And, but man, that's depressing. I'm depressed, Mike. That depressing. No, don't be depressed. Is kind of, but I think that's interesting. So, it's less, we don't have to rely on the stereotypes or the, the stories of what cruise ships are because now you just get a tangible, you know. Yeah, basically, oh, maybe that's, here's a, it's, it's depressing, but here it's like, Instagram is now, I, we, I read something recently about how social media is like a seamless ad experience because basically everything that's posted to Instagram and similar services is an ad for an experience. Correct. Basically, it's a personal endorsement of whatever is going around on around you now, with some exceptions about like if a cop is tasing somebody who's unarmed or whatever. But for the most part, so so you have just broad online, everyone who takes an Instagram picture of their Royal Caribbean cruise will is creating advertising that supports cruise lines. And so there's just this overwhelming social pressure now to participate and to endorse the corporate lived experience. And I think that's a secular change and I don't see it reversing. So let me just throw some blankets on this thesis, even though I don't, I don't know that I disagree with you per se, but let me bring another couple perspectives, which are cruise lines in general, cruise ships are just like the plague in cities i think uh and you're you know living in europe in a mediterranean city over tourism and the problems of cruise ships coming in dumping off thousands of people who just kind of 
glom on to the big tourist destination then we've you know venice is the biggest example of this barcelona is also affected so there that's where where you talk about capacity you wonder like how much people even though tourism is a really important part of those cities industries especially in venice there's some balance like there is some limit to capacity there just from the natural resource itself isn't that a pricing then the price just goes up right yeah. So I guess there's like a regulatory, so maybe the con argument is, okay, so local municipalities see that there there's this flood of tourism and it's like straining the infrastructure and the locals hate it. So they pass laws that like regulate or tax. Either way, I don't know that that's necessarily bearish for the companies themselves unless there's some sort of like blockade of places to go and you can't do business at all because they, they can price it in. They can price in the, the, even if they price in the negative externalities, that's still, as, assuming that the, the cruise line operators are allowed to operate, I don't know that that necessarily cuts one way or the other. Yeah, maybe. Um, the, the other sort of vaguer comment I'll, is just, I'm skeptical. I do buy that we have... For better, because I think there's some, there was a lot of pretension in that not going to sell out anti-corporate lifestyle that was at times hypocritical. But I do buy that people are probably less less staunch about fighting that sort of thing. But skeptical that cruise lines deliver authentic experiences except for those rare cases like the example you brought up of Antarctica like I don't think they're interesting they're popular I guess uh, and they do they do sort of take care of your needs the other the, the more economic things that I have sort of in mind are because we, we've published a lot of short theses on Royal Caribbean over the years specifically out of the cruise line companies and they're compelling to me they didn't necessarily play out all that well, but there, there's one from 2015, one from 2016, and the thesis, Royal Caribbean has never earned a return on investment capital above its weighted average cost of capital. The argument went two or three years ago. So there was, the economics weren't very positive for it. It's an asset intensive business. You have to operate those ships. You have to build those ships. They have a lifetime duration of about 25 years so it's not it's not like a hotel where you can kind of keep it going forever you have to kind of keep running those through and and so that puts pressure on this sort of business and yeah and given that given that pressure given that leverage profile and given i can see airlines for example even if there is a cycle in airline industry people are going to be flying it doesn't strike me as it strikes me that airlines have more ability to adjust to different headwinds or tailwinds, whereas cruise ships, once you build it out, you're kind of, you got the cruise, you've got the, the cruise liners. And so that would be my concern on the industry in general as well. And so that's, which, but which sort of then comes down to this, what is the fundamental state of cruise lines and demand? Like, will demand just continue to go five six seven percent each year if it does that covers up a lot of these other issues that makes makes betting on a 
leverage deal at this point smarter and it makes it more acceptable to consider yeah let's let's continue to try to build out gain expertise market share etc if you have concerns if you don't think this time is different if you have concerns that cruise cruise ships are going to be the first thing to go or whatever else um then it's obviously a riskier play and so i guess that's where your risk reward comes in here so let's talk about that a little bit i just look at this just looking at some of the numbers around royal caribbean specifically you know pe it looks like a late cycle value trap to me just like mm-hmm. PE of 13 or 14, EV EBITDA of 12, according to Seeking Alpha's school page, price cash flow of 8, maybe a reasonably, in this environment, that seems like a reasonably attractive valuation. And, you know, net income has grown, um, margins have expanded over the past five years, but you that's, that's the point in the presentation where I'm ready to, like, buy the stock so i'm like wow look at how much it's grown look how well it's doing look how cheap it seems to be but of course late in a cycle the market prices in eventual downturns and maybe it's just efficiently priced for that here but you know how how long how long can the cycle last on the downside and you could keep buying in as the stock price goes down there is a floor somewhere unless so I, I'm kind of attracted to this sector a little bit based on what looked like some potentially secular growth drivers. I guess the one thing that I want to dig deeper in uh, that you mentioned is the return on investment, invested capital, not exceeding the weighted average cost of capital. So let's talk a little bit about that. My understanding is that that means that economically this is a wasteful industry that these assets are not being put to good use. But that's odd to me in the sense that people obviously want to go on cruises and they obviously pay to do so. And it looks like there's sufficient demand to outstrip the cost of doing the operations, but maybe there's some sort of something's hidden in the accounting and the boats are just too crazy expensive to own and operate and acquire what do you think what do you think that means that the return on investment capital doesn't exceed the weighted average cost of capital for these companies how, how can you put like a fine point on that i think what it means is that you probably don't have enough competitive power to really take advantage of demand enough that you can gain economic excess economic turn returns that way and then there is the challenge of you have to spend a lot of money to maintain, build, replace these ships. And so I think those are the primary things that are the that would prevent accretion to or, or you know, economic returns and economic gains. Um, you know, the, the just to be clear, the article that I was referring to was Donald Marchioni from 2015, the stock RCL did go down for quite a while, but then has risen nicely and until this year was sort of in line with the S&P. So the call hasn't worked. The company did get CapEx down in 2017, sort of 
argued against this thesis in general, I think. I don't know if it... I didn't crunch whether it literally beat weighted average cost of capital with its return on investment capital, but it did generate quite a bit of free cash flow. It did lower cap X. Like, it, it sort of checked the boxes without crazy revenue growth. Uh, but yeah, I guess that's sort of the the argument here is that there's it's just a business that you kind of have a lot of turnover in your assets and so it doesn't you never hit that you never reach that promised land where you can kind of just rake in the cash you're always putting more cash into the business to kind of maintain it let alone grow it and so i think that's that's how i would analyze it Okay, you've inspired me. I think I'm on to something now. Like David Foster Wallace on the book, I found my zinc oxide, uh, mental zinc oxide to understand this sort of. And it, it links back specifically to the deal, which is where we started. This Clearly the earnings are high variance and the margins are high variance in this business. There's cyclicality at play. Amid that concern that the weighted average cost of capital is close to the return on investment capital and maybe even in excess of it, you should be extremely disciplined in your capital allocation decisions. And we have a deal here for Royal Caribbean in particular that's of dubious value. According to Spring Mill and according to you know our basic look at it and the market's uncertainty about the value add here. If you're going to be in this line of business and you're it's sort of of uncertain value in terms of shareholder value creation, stay as slim as possible. Don't do weird deals that expose you to additional lines of business. Get really good and get really specialized and try and give yourself that competitive advantage that can outstrip the negatives of the industry's operating environment overall. So to bring this all home, I think you have to be kind of negative on a deal that has an ambiguous or maybe negative value creation for shareholders simply because there's so much risk in this. We're not sure that the long t- long-term economic value of the business is even there. On top of that, it's tough to operate and it's a cyclical industry. Like, Just don't do these deals is kind of what it comes down to. Whether you're bullish or bearish on, on the industry overall, if it's that close a call, then why are we expanding the balance sheet? Right, for sure. I think that's, it's just, uh, look, I'm sure there's a strategic rationale. I'm sure, I don't think management is careless, but it's top of cycle M&A. It's this sort of, such a cliche, and yet businesses continue to do it. And you just wonder, what is what is driving you you know, if this deal was for one billion instead of one and a half billion, okay, like then the numbers make a lot more sense. But what is driving you to bid up here? And so that's what's interesting. Um, for in the context of their full business, it's not like I don't think it's gonna capsize them, but it is. Was that the horn? Did you spell the horn? Yeah, the capsizing horn. The, the weird capsizing horn that you push the button. Um, push the button to let everybody, to let the penguins know. <laughs> Look out, penguins. We're going over. That is quite, um, that is a 
cruise ship. So, yeah. Do you have you ever been on a cruise? I've never have. The closest I've been is like snorkeling okay. <laughs> on a, like a little boat. Yeah. I actually inflated my life jacket. It was one of those inflatable ones where you pull and it like goes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I did that on the boat and I was like 13. My dad had to call the guy over and be like, Mike inflated his life vest. And that was like the most embarrassing thing that I could. You know, at 13, you want to be cool, which is tough when you're snorkeling on a boat with your parents. And then I like, I did that. I felt so, I was humiliated. <laughs> so that's, so no, I haven't been on a cruise. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't do whale watching tours in, in uh, Wisconsin on Lake Michigan? I did. Oh, I don't know. I have a Pacific Whale Foundation. Shout out to the Pacific Whale Foundation. I was in Maui with my in-laws and my wife, and we did go on a a whale whale watching tour. But again, it wasn't really a cruise because it was just like afternoon. But I did do that, and I got seasick. Man, I'm just not. I think I'm just not a. I need need that big boat. I need that huge boat so that I'm not. Although if you read the David Foster Wallace essay, he talks about the constant sort of rolling feeling, even on those big boats. But I need a real big boat to keep me, because I got a little sick to my stomach. I was hungover because uh, we the night before. But, man, yeah, I'm not a customer. I'm not as much of a customer, I think, of seafaring attractions overall. But I know that other people are. What about, what's your, I bet you've never been on a cruise because it's too corporate. <laughs> I don't know if it's because of that. I think I don't like traveling in groups. I prefer friends okay with my wife, of course, or with family. But I I mean, my favorite traveling is probably alone. And I definitely don't like being on any sort of guided tour or any fixed itinerary. I think that's where I um, break out into hives a little bit. So one thing just to bring it back before we wrap up that one interesting point I saw somewhere in the comment streams was the idea that a cruise is in some ways comparable to or cheaper than housing. And so you could imagine as a retiree, like where that becomes economically feasible, if you don't mind being out at sea a lot is <laughs> replace. No, I swear I didn't make this. We're going to make our budget. There's just one catch. <laughs> We're gonna be on a frigate. <laughs> wow. You can do other people. And we won't be able to escape or go anywhere or we'll have to be back for curfew by midnight. That's interesting. Okay, so but just a counter just a quick counter on that. The target company here, uh Silver Sea, is their prices are all in the eight hundreds a night. That's not a that's not a just, that's not an alt. It's a weird category to make that kind of, for this particular deal at least, to make that kind of argument. Unless, I mean, I know there are a lot of rich people out there, but that's not, um, that's not your Motel Six type. No, no, for sure. Fair point. Okay, cool. Next, we'll we'll need to record a behind the idea on a cruise just to get some real on the from the desk. On the deck. Court. <laughs> the silver sea. I gotta say, the silver sea rooms look dope on the website. They're like full luxury hotel room size, so that's like a different. 
that would be a really different experience if you have like your own room. I don't know why they don't. Is there a limit? There must be a limit to how big the boat can be. Like, why can't they just make the boats? Oh, because they have to get in and out. Anyway, uh, there's no reason to go down that. There's your there's your business model. You'll just dock the ships, you know, a half, half a nautical mile offshore and then ferry, oh, yeah. ferry little boats out to take people in. Yeah, like the Star Destroyers in Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. With the little, like, TIE fighters coming out. That makes a lot all right, let's see. Do you have a moral? Do you have a takeaway here? I think good on the author, Spring Mill, for... Ch- that's an example of don't don't chase at these... I mean, he wasn't long in the first case, but good on him for analyzing that. He was congratulating them for discipline, and then as soon as they didn't show discipline, he said, all right, this is silly. I've, cha- I've changed my mind. So that was a very good change your mind, updating your priors, that yeah. sort of thing. Long Bayesian move. Good Bayesianism here. Exactly. What about you? I, my takeaway is kind of like, I want to know more about the cruise industry, and I want to know more about the secular story. I kind of am... I, it sounds like Royal Caribbean is not best in sector here, but I, I, I'm eager to talk to Paul Brady about this sort of general strategic dynamics around the cruise industry because it's a fascinating business. I feel like it's not well understood by me and maybe not in general. I feel like the, who knows why people invest in this stuff. So I'm just curious. I, I think we scratched the surface here and I think we have a good handle on why this deal is suspect and I'm, I'm persuaded and I agree really top flight Bayesianism on the, on the part of spring mill. But I'm just intrigued. I think that's my takeaway. I'm like intrigued by this industry, this luxury industry with dubious prospects, some similarities to airlines, some similarities to amusement parks. Mm-hmm. Basically, a cruise ship is like an airplane with Disney World on it. And so I want to know which side of the coin we actually land on, whether, whether it's more of a Disney World or whether it's more of an airplane in terms of the long-term economics. All right. That's, we've, we've covered both of them, so that's, yeah. We've covered, techno music is playing, but you know what? It's getting close to curfew. We need to get back on that gang plan. Daniel needs to put his life jacket back on. He's waddling. I've got to get my zinc oxide, and I need to hit the casino. Play some blackjack. We need to see the piano, man. We need to see Billy Joel's long third cousin. <laughs> <It's fun. laughs> Alright, I think we're good, huh? Alright, yeah. Good talk, Mike. Have fun on All the right. have fun on the boat. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please leave a review on iTunes if you have the chance, as that will help us improve this podcast. We're working on improving the sound for Behind the Idea and appreciate those comments. Keep holding our feet to the fire on that. If you have any investors in mind you'd love to hear join behind the idea, please let us know. You can tweet us at Daniels Seeking A or at M. Brooks Taylor. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks for listening and see you next week on Behind the Idea.